Francisco 49 is deep in the heart. Like Joe Montana in the corner, deep Clark. Garrison Hurst, stiff form going 99. Don't get it twisted, one and all with prime time. John Taylor, Jerry Rice down the sideline. NDB, greatest owner of all time. Gruden, Walgren, Bill Belichick were all students of Bill Walsh. Don't ever forget. I'm Lee Gowland. I'm Brian Davis. And this is the 49er Faithful UK Show. Welcome back to the 49er Faithful UK Show. We're into week seven now. We've got the Los Angeles Rams up next. And it's a bit of a special weekend at Levi Stadium this week. There's quite a few different events on to celebrate the life of Dwight Clark. We have a couple of members who are going to be out there at the stadium on Sunday. Andy Hodgson, who was the guest on Monday. And another member called Ray Paul. Right, welcome back, Brian. Good evening, good afternoon, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. Um, I'm still hurting a bit from Monday night's defeat. Oh. <laughs> yeah. It was I, one of I, those I need games. To stop starting podcasts with, oh. <laughs> <laughs> It was one of those games where there was plenty of positives, but the main negative, i.e. the, the loss, kind of, it, it, it went deep. It cut deep, that loss. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I managed to wake up in time to watch the fourth quarter. I had a little bit of the third quarter and then into the fourth quarter. And um, there's no way I was able to watch um, any more than that with uh, everything else that I had on this week. But, yeah, that last drive, it just lingers long in the memory, doesn't it? As it you, does, you look, yeah. You look at what happened and, and maybe just, you can't just, you can't have that happen, can you? I mean, I was I wasn't screaming at my phone because I was, I was sort of watching <laughs> watching it in bed while the missus was trying to sleep and I was just like sort of thinking out loud like why is Salah not doing what Sherman was doing earlier on in the quarter and in the third quarter and and managing the game and the defensive backs better and yeah they were sort of back shoulder throws and and they were on the sideline but you know come on this that can't happen can it with a minute left to drive basically 90 yards down the field and I don't know why they didn't have Sherman on Adams just shadowing him on the whole of that last drive. And uh, I guess it's part of the learning curve. If Maben can get something from that, then possibly he can become a better cornerback. I don't quite know why Witherspoon wasn't out there. Um, so then, Witherspoon had the concussion at the time. Yeah, but that was on near the end, wasn't it? On the last field goal. I, I thought I'd heard this week on the radio that that's where he sustained that particular concussion. So Maben only came in after the field goal. So okay. it, was, it was on the. Sorry, no, no. Yeah, I thought it was Maven the very came last in. One. It was. Uh, he got it. So I, I. So I paid particular attention to Maven basically yeah. because I turned around and said, "I would like Maven to get a shot at starting." And well, yeah, we both kind of said that you know that these guys have got to go out there and get you know take their lumps and and get a chance. But yeah. in that situation, you you need to manage the game much better. Um, and I know that. They were driving down the field. They didn't have any timeouts, but I don't know why we didn't call a timeout just to try and regroup and get our stuff together and just sort of say, right, they've just completed a you know the first down run and then the the, the two sort of sideline passes after that. Call a timeout, get your stuff together, and try and get back out there because they gave up ten points in three minutes and uh, it it was just so infuriating. And even when I watched it back, it, it drove me nuts. And, uh, Do you not yeah. think that the timeout wasn't called because Shanahan was kind of hoping that Green Bay were going to run out of time and not be able to move it down the field? Probably, yeah. But the fact that that, that had happened, I think I would have probably just sort of said, right, the way it's going, we we need to sort of just have a regroup here and see what's going on because it, you know, what what was happening was unacceptable. And um, I'm not big on mid season firings, really, but. They've really got some sort of soul searching and self evaluation to be getting done in in Levi's this week. And again, you you can't have Reuben Foster covering the likes of Adams either. That that is the stuff that does get you fired. Yeah, yeah, it's, definitely. You just can't have that happening all the time. And it should have been a statement win. And when you've got the amount of backups that we had going into Lambeau, beating Green Bay, you win that, you're still somewhere where we think we should have been, even with Jimmy Garoppolo as the quarterback. You know, now we're one and five. It's going to be one and six. We possibly could have a winning record at this point in time. And I, I don't know what Shanahan was doing on the play call and either. When, it, when it's tied at 30 and you're second and three and, and third and three, why are you throwing? If, yeah. if you're going to throw, at least go to your most 
basic, almost can't fail check down to to Juice or to Moster or whoever's on the field. They've got a you you can't be overthrowing receivers and and then all right the shot downfield. I'm kind of okay with the shot downfield because it's aggressive and if you if you complete that then you win the game. But I would have done that based on the fact that we ran on second down to keep the clock running at least. So even then, you, you eke away an extra 30, 40 seconds off the, off, you know, off, off the clock. Yeah. And try and at least take the win away from Green Bay in the regulation time and get that first down and try and set yourself up with a field goal to win the game. So, yeah, like I said, I'm kind of okay with being aggressive, but I think if you're going to go down that way, you've got to overthrow and lead the receiver rather than underthrow it and give the defensive backer the chance to make the pick. So, yeah, I think there was a small margin of error there. How do you hit the, the right shoulder instead of the left shoulder? That the defender's not going to get the ball, and there's no. a good chance that Goodwin would have gotten the ball. Yeah. So, I mean, I mentioned it on Monday. I was I was happy with the decision he made because I can understand why he made it. It was just a poor throw. Yeah, it was a bad throw. Yeah, and, and he brought up the point that the, the wind was moving from right to left, and that's the, the way the ball kind of swayed in, yeah. in the air. And he wondered whether or not that was a factor. It, it could be, but that is something that a quarterback needs to take into account because it's yeah, going to happen possibly. time and time again. But then you look at some of the field goals uh, that, that were kicked in that second half. It was only sort of a four, five, six mile an hour wind, so it wasn't yeah, anything right. drastic that was blowing. And uh, it, like another point I was going to make was this: we seem to be brilliant at scripting our opening drives or opening fifteen, sixteen plays, which are obviously worked on. You know, a hell of a lot yeah, over the, during the, the week. week, and then we pretty much put together almost a perfect first half, didn't we? But then it completely changed in the last three drives, which were just pathetic. And the only analogy that I've kind of come up with this week is we're a bit like a baseball team that's got a fantastic rotation of four or five starters that can get you seven or eight innings, but our bullpen absolutely sucks. <laughs> Yeah. You know, you've got an offense that can keep putting up runs, keep putting points on the board, but your bullpen constantly blows the saves and blows the holds, and you just can't hold the team to score in at the end of the game. And that's that's the only way that I can kind of make a comparison to at the minute. I thought Bathard was good. Goodwin made a massive difference again. He stretched the field. Um, our penalties were down. The sacks were down. Defensive sacks were up. So there's positives there, but it's the turnovers again, isn't it? Turnovers are killing us. Yeah, We're giving definitely. them away and not, not taking them away. And again, this week, I've seen more talk of, oh, well, we're in for a top three pick now. No. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I can't watch football and think, yes, in a way, there's the big picture, big picture there of we might get a top three draft pick. I don't care about a top three draft pick. A top three draft pick, as we've seen, can go horribly wrong. I hate losing. And... Ugh. I, yeah, I, I, I want to win every game that we go into, every single game. Even when I know we can't win, I still want to win. And I'm going to predict a loss in this game, but I still want to win. And I don't care if it affects our draft position by winning. I still, it's deep ingrained into you to, as a sports fan to win games. And I want to win. And this is LA this week. Yeah. I hate LA. Yeah. <laughs> Most 49ers fans hate LA. It, it's like, it's one of the biggest sports rivalries in you know, in all of America, it, it's San Francisco versus LA. When the Giants go down to LA to play the Dodgers, I want them to win more than any other game in the season. When the Sharks play LA, I want them to win. When the Blackhawks and the Bulls play down in LA against the Lakers and that, I want those teams desperately to win. It's a bit like the, well, you'll you know, you'll, you can relate to it. It's a bit like your Sunderland Newcastle, your Liverpool, yeah, Man United, yeah. and your sort of Arsenal top. It's that kind of intense rivalry this weekend. And, well, I just can't stand losing to LA. And we've got games coming up now that we can win and we will win. So I don't care about drafting top three, top four, or even having the number one pick. I don't don't want that. I, I want us to be winning games. And if if we do have a top 10 draft pick, so what? I'd rather be picking eighth, ninth, tenth and trying to get someone who's probably decent enough for our team there than, you know, wasting a pick in the, in the top three because even if we pick in the top three I'd probably be inclined to try and trade down anyway to see what we can build up through the draft this year anyway without knowing much about the draft of what's going on this year that that's something that I'll start looking at in December January time when when I should be looking at it but until then 
I still want us to win all of all of these games that we've got coming up. And well, it, it just infuriates me that that way of thinking. But well, yeah, agree. Yeah, it's, it's just with me as nuts. well. Yeah, yeah. But I think the title of our season, the way it's going, should be how to grasp defeat from the jaws of victory. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. <sighs> anyway, that's my rant over. All right. So, <laughs> so on to week seven and the visit of the Los Angeles Rams. So during the week, we've only had two did not participate, and that was Ward and Pettis, uh, hamstring and knee respectively. We've had a few limited participation, Breda, Garcon, Kittle, Sherman, Person, Richburg, Steely, Williams and Witherspoon. However, they're all expected to play. Um, and I think some of them have had full participation full participation throughout the week so that, that's good when you look at the stats it's fairly formidable when you look at the Rams offense the third in points first in yards sixth in passing first in rushing and then you look at the other side of the ball seventh on points allowed 11th on yards allowed 13th and 14th respectively for pass and rush so it's, it's another one of those games just like last week where we turned around and said I can't see how we can win the game. However, it's any given Sunday. Yeah, I mean, in terms of our offence, um, CJ's still developing. I thought he looked good in the pocket at times against Green Bay. He was making those sort of couple of steps forward that we spoke about last week. He was much better than the Cardinals game and probably any other game this season and probably better than most of the games he played in last season as well. So... Those couple of steps up that he was making in the pocket made a lot of difference. It brought him a little bit of extra time. Um, I think we're going to need to use the run game big time in this game, aren't we, in play action. The play action seems to be working really well for us. Yeah. And um, we've just got to try and keep the Rams' offense off the field for as long as possible, haven't we? We do. And when you look at the Rams' defense, there's a couple, well, there's, I think, three three areas that I think could be potential weaknesses. So the cornerbacks haven't been great this season. No. They're not playing as good as what everybody expects them to play. Um, And they've also got a linebacker who is fairly suspect, to say the least, um, Barron. I think he could be a a weak point for them. Mm -hmm. Um, Other than that, the defence looks absolutely excellent, I have to say. Yeah. So, could we, we we might be able to do something through the air on the two corners, but I think that all depends on how Goodwin plays and whether or not we stretch the field. Uh, I think when you look at our wide receiving core, potentially you might be looking at Bourne having a few more targets this week uh, as Goodwin stretches the field. I think that could be beneficial for Bourne. I think Kittle might have another quiet week, to be honest, looking at who he needs to go through um, and or who's going to be covering him. Because you look at the Rams' defence and the, both the safeties are having good seasons. Um, you've got a linebacker that's having a good season. The whole of the defensive line <laughs> are having a good <laughs> season. I mean, what once you've got Sue and Donald in the defensive line, the other two guys are pretty much left alone. Um, yeah. I think that might be bumping up their stats a little bit. Yeah, and we're going to have to get the run game going to to get those pass plays working as well. Um, we need to be working on those outside zone runs. They worked really well again on Monday Night Football. So I think, you know, we've got to attack the game there again. Um, and in terms of their, their cornerbacks, I think Shields and Peters, I looked at a stat earlier, they're giving up a 70% completion ratio and Peters has already given up five touchdowns this season so yeah. you've got to go straight after that guy and I think Russell Wilson had quite a lot of success against him a couple of weeks ago and um, yeah you've really got to go and target those cornerbacks and not be overly aggressive with our football um, I mean I, I sort of got a note that you know I don't want to sound like I'm repeating myself every week but we need to be a bit savvy about what we're doing still you know, I, I really enjoy watching aggressive football and going for it. And I'll probably almost go for it on fourth and one every time on the other side of midfield. But it drives me nuts when teams have leads to sort of three or four touchdowns and then they go super conservative, a bit like we did on Monday night, even though yeah. we didn't have that much of a lead. So we need to kind of try and find that healthy balance between the two. 
Um, I think had we done that on Monday, we would have won the game, and or at a minimum, we'd have got got it to overtime. So we're scoring on forty percent of our drives, which is top ten in the NFL. So we're we will score points on the Rams, but <laughs> I do worry for CJ because if that, our, our, I mean, this is a real kind of um, eye opener for. Well, this would be a real kind of. Um, barometer for where our O-line is again this week when they're against those guys on that D-line because Aaron Donald is just immense. Sue is always going to cause chaos at times. Um, it's yes, yeah, probably their biggest matchup yet. Um, there's a real chance that this could be CJ's worst game. Um, their defense is, seems pretty aggressive as well. So it's a Wade Phillips coach defense as well, which are always pretty good defenses when he's defensive coordinator. So it's not looking good, but I think we will score points. But our O line needs to be on their real top game this week because this is going to be their this is going to be their toughest uh, toughest assignment yet. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's it's going to be a really tough game. I actually think it's going to be quite a high scoring game because I think it could be. Yeah, like you said, I mean, we are putting up points. We just can't stop people from scoring. So I'm I'm expecting quite a high scoring game. Yeah, and maybe it's in the same region as last year's game at Levi's. Um, what was that? Forty-one thirty-eight. Forty-one thirty-nine, well, wasn't it? We missed the two-point convert- conversion, right. didn't we? And then, then so yeah, I, we, I, those, I, yeah. I think Gould missed the kick, didn't he? And then we had to go for the two-point at the end and uh, that's didn't right. get it. Yeah. So I, I don't think it's going to be that close, but I still think it's going to be a high-scoring game. Yeah, but one of the things I was going to say about um, CJ was he doesn't look like a one-and-seven quarterback, does he? The way no, he's he been doesn't. playing. I know that one and seven doesn't reflect your quarterback and your quarterback record. It's a bit like sort of pitchers wins in baseball, but I'm getting more and more impressed by him. And I've seen a lot over the last couple of games that kind of suggest to me that he will be an NFL starter or he really well could be an NFL starter somewhere. Now, obviously I'm not suggesting for one minute whatsoever that we have a quarterback controversy in San Francisco again, but we do have what I feel is an excellent backup that will compete when you want him to and when you need him to. And if Kyle and Lynch go into the the draft next year and they're happy with possibly Mullins as a backup, or if they go in and they identify a sort of day three quarterback that they want to bring on who maybe has the same traits as CJ or Mullins, potentially we could see a draft day or draft weekend trade happen possibly yeah definitely agreed um I, I think he's i think he's played really well he's definitely played better than last season you can see he has progressed he, he's learning all the time it's, it's just a shame that some of the fan base only see the wins and losses and yeah. don't actually see any of the progression the yeah. only time for me wins and losses count is when you're actually trying to get into the playoffs yeah that, that's when it's a barometer of how well you're doing for the season when you actually push him for that playoff spot. We've known since week three we weren't going to make the playoffs purely because much, we lost yeah. our starting quarterback and we'd already lost our starting running back before the season even began. Yeah. So for me, this season's never been about wins and losses. Don't get us wrong. I want to win every single game we play and every single loss hurts. However, when you try to analyse how well the team's doing, what progression's been made, you just can't use that win-loss column. No. You have to have a look at each individual player, have a look at the stats, see what we're doing, what we aren't doing. Um, we, we all know we've got problems on defence. Coverage is absolutely non-existent apart from Sherman. Sherman's the only person that can cover, and that's it. The player calling is debatable. So it's, it's those type of things you, you need to look at. Yeah. But you, you certainly shouldn't be saying, oh, well, we absolutely trash because we're only 5-1. and one. Because the games have been five close. One would be nice. One and five. Yeah, <laughs> uh, sorry, one and five. <laughs> yeah, wishful thinking. Um, yeah, we're complaining about being five and one, and I'll I'll take that every day. Yeah, I would as well, Matt. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, we we one and five, but the games have been close. Yeah, and we're only a few pieces away from from having a team that can win and can contend for a playoff space. Yeah. Um, we definitely need another cornerback without a shadow of a doubt we need another cornerback. I think we've got the most close losses in the NFL over the last two or three seasons now. 
Yeah, and that speaks volumes of how close we are to getting it right. Yeah. It can easily tip the balance just with one or two players. But, yeah, yeah I mean, cornerback we need. We need a pass rusher. Um, I, I mentioned free safety on uh, Monday because I thought Colbert was terrible and I thought he'd give up that um, that touchdown, the very first touchdown. But when I looked at that, the coaches' 22 hadn't been done. Mm. Um, with it being a, a, a nightly game, they hadn't getting that on, so I didn't have the benefit of watching that. Once I've watched it, watched it back, what happened? I believe what happened is we we were in a cover three. They did a play action. All the linebackers bit. Reuben Foster was supposed to protect the right hand side flat, so he should have gone round and saw that Adams had basically stopped just after the line of scrimmage. Yeah. But what happened was Ward ended up staying there because Reuben Foster had bit on the run, same as the other linebackers. And instead of following his man, which should have been uh, Valdez Scantling, he left him uh, to go. And when you see the coaches 22, you see that Colbert had actually covered the exact area that he should have covered on that play. So mm. I was a little bit unfair with uh, Colbert on that. So I just thought I should mention it actually wasn't his fault. I think this was a fault of Foster biting on the play action and then Ward trying to cover Foster's man instead of covering his own. Yeah. Well, this um, good segue there that on, on our defence, one of the notes that I got down was that we need to not bite on the play action on Sunday because that's pretty much what the Rams' offence is. Um they pretty much run um, play action, I think it's like 39, 40% of the time. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with that. We, we definitely can't be biting on the play action. I think it's a lot easier to do when you're up against a team that can't rush the ball as well as the uh, Rams. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because then you've got a bit of leeway to hang back, wait to see if it is going to be a throw. But obviously that puts you a little bit behind getting to the runner if it is handed off. Mm. Uh, and this Sunday's game, you, you can't be doing a rock and a hard place. Oh, yeah. if, if you do hesitate on the play action and wait to see if it's a pass, you need to be really quick to get down to that runner. Yeah. Otherwise, Gurley is just going to absolutely decimate us. Oh, he's going to tear us a new one if we give him the chance. He is, yeah. You're right. So the Rams' offence, the O-line is looking... It's looking as good as uh, the Packers. I couldn't get any stats to find out if their O-line's better than the Packers because the Packers did have a good O-line. Yeah. We managed to generate some pressure, which I was absolutely gobsmacked about. <laughs> so, I mean, there's nothing to say we can't do that again this week and generate some pressure against uh, the Rams O-line. Two weeks running, going up against a good O-line. I, I don't know if that's going to be possible or not, but... If we are to get anything out of this game, or at least keep it respectable, we definitely have to generate the pressure on Goff and stop him from throwing all the time. Because, I mean, you've got Brandon Cooks, you've got uh, Woods out, out there. They're going to be catching these all day long, especially yeah. against Dow Secondary. Um, it's a good job that uh, Cooper Cup's out. Cooper Cup? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's Cooper Cup. That's a, a big bonus for us. Yeah. But then if you cover the two wide receivers, they play a lot of two tight end sets, the Rams, and they've got Everett and Higby, and they're both having really good seasons. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the key thing you said there was covering two receivers. We just don't seem to be able to do it, do we? No, not at all. Um, and, yeah, this season you've got Goff playing at an MVP level, Gurley, who is probably going to be the MVP the way he's going. He's actually got more touchdowns himself than four NFL teams. Please tell us San Francisco 49ers isn't one of those four teams. No, it's not. <laughs> and he's currently tied with five other teams at the minute as well. So their receivers, it's interesting you said about Cup there. Obviously, we would have covered it anyway. But they're, I think he's such a huge loss for them that they've, they've gone from sort of stacked to still great, which <laughs> isn't much of a downgrade, is it? But there's nothing really there after those big two after Cup's gone. So the depth kind of really falls off onto how they're performing this year. Um, Cooks and Woods have both gone over 500 yards already. Gurley is obviously a huge option at the backfield and could quite easily run for 100, catch 100. So I don't know what we're going to do coverage-wise, but one or more of those guys is 
more than likely going to have a big game, depending on who Sherman doesn't go up against. And if we end up with Foster and um, Warner or any of our linebackers on Gurley, then it might get out of hand quickly if Gurley's going up against those guys in the past game. Yeah. Yeah, that, definitely. That sort of fills me with dread because I think that's probably what they'll lean on more now that Cup is out. And we've just got to try and stop some of these drives. And if the Rams defense play as, as well as they can, and they probably haven't done in most of their games so far, then this game potentially could be over by the half. And like I said, I, want, I really want to be positive, but after that Green Bay, those last two, three minutes just still linger and stick in my mind that potentially we could see drives like that all game and that just terrifies me absolutely terrifies me yeah it could get ugly quite quickly mm. but i mean so you mentioned this before it's a big rivalry it's it's a derby game essentially yeah and you always know what happens in these type of games form goes completely out the window anywhere yeah, I mean the 49ers are going to be fired up for it. The fans are going to be fired up for it. It's it's the Dwight Clark Memorial Day. Hopefully that fires them up as well, and that they'll have a right chip on the shoulder as they did on Monday because of being flexed out of the uh, the late night game. I think the 49ers will be up for putting the best display on possible and just giving it 110 percent, which to be honest <laughs> they should do every week. Oh yeah, uh, but I think they've got a little bit extra motivation. Because I think they feel, um, what's the word? I think they feel insulted by being moved out of the uh, Sunday night game. Yeah, quite and, possibly. And so they should. Yeah. And I kind of think a sort of, oh, what could have been on this fixture? or uh, Because we've kind of, we've not really seen McVeigh against Kyle in a, a sort of full-on situation, have we? I mean, last year we had, Brian Hoyer as our blooming quarterback. Yeah. Even in that game when he had the game of his life and stacked up 39 points. Then obviously in week 17, the Rams rested most of their starters. And now we haven't got Jimmy G this season. And obviously that's going to lose out in those two games. So there's potential that this game could be a good game, but I don't think we're going to see the full sort of scope of what um, this coaching matchup could be between, you know, two sort of young up and coming, very, very good good coaches and it's a it's an intriguing matchup that obviously Carl's probably gonna struggle to try and keep pace with uh with the Rams but it's it's a bit like what we sort of said with the quarterbacks a few few weeks ago with the young matchups these are sort of two coaches that potentially in years to come we, we could be talking about in the same way that we talk about some of the head coaches you know in the sort of Belichick way mold yeah. that we speak about yeah. now the, the the way that they're you know that the, they're sort of designing and and bringing it bringing out the best in these young offenses that they've got at the minute and if you think what Kyle's doing now with the amount of backups imagine what he can do with another draft and with another sort of period of free agency in year three and year four of this sort of rebuild rebuild that we're in so where do you think we need to improve on our defense oh defense well Salah's had the dreaded vote of confidence this week hasn't he. <laughs> <laughs> And we all know does, what that means for I was the managers say, here in the UK. <laughs> does it work the same? I don't think it does, no. But No, um, I don't think it does either. I just kind of wanted to throw that out there that he's uh, he's been sort of spoken of highly by the uh, Lynch and that this week. So um, it's going to come down to... We're not going to stop Gurley. Let's not, let's not sort of uh, kid ourselves. But we need to try and contain him as much as we can. Um, if we, we need three and outs, don't we? If if we can keep it close through three quarters, who knows what's going to happen? But we've just got to try and limit Gurley on what he's doing to us because if we can jam these receivers on the line of scrimmage, if we can get some interior pressure, try and stop that run game as much as we can because we don't seem to be getting any pressure from the outside. So we need to try and get everything in the middle, I think. And yeah. like we, we said earlier, just try not to fall for that play action and biting and you look back to Monday night, Rogers constantly moved the ball on us in play action. And I think from what I've seen this season, they do tend to improve on things that have gone wrong in the week before. You know, you look at the, the missed tackling. Yeah, the missed tackling was pretty poor again on Monday, but the week 
week after they had that really bad game with a missed tackle and the week after they were very good. And I just wonder whether this week it'll be, they were pretty poor at defending play action against Rogers last week. They're going up against a team who are running 40% of their plays on play action this week. Is that where they're going to improve on the defense side of things? Yeah. It might be somewhere completely different, but that's kind of, that was sort of the way that I was thinking when, uh, when I was just sort of trying to prepare for this. From a defensive point of view, I mean, it's, I sound like a broken record, but the, the two areas, it's got to be the same two areas we've discussed every week, and that's coverage and pass rush. J- mm. Just like you said, um, <laughs> I've got to be honest, I don't think we'll see any improvement this week, not because we haven't improved, I think it's because we're going up a team that is so good, it's going to make us look bad. Mm. Uh, and that's hard to say about the Rams because, I mean, I'm like you, I absolutely hate the Rams with a passion. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, pass rush, coverage, got to improve. Yeah, and we're still last in sacks and turnovers as well. Yeah, yeah, you know, definitely. It's a 14 to 3 ratio at the minute. We're averaging half a turnover a game. Currently, that is on schedule to be the least amount of turnovers in NFL history in a 16-game schedule. Right. 12 is currently the fewest. So let, let's try and win the turnover battle. It, I think this is the kind of game that we can win the turnover battle but still lose. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, we might get a lucky bounce from a fumble here and there. Maybe one of the third, fourth choice receivers for the Rams comes in, fumbles, or we get an interception or something. I think we'll probably still lose the game, but if we can at least try and win that turnover battle, that's you're you're making steps, aren't you? You're you're getting there. You're you're this you know baby steps. You sort of walk before you can run type thing. To but, be honest, I, I think the way we win on defense is by keeping the ball on offense. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, that's probably the, our best form of defense is going to be our offense this week, and we need to make an early stop as well because yeah. we've started. We seem to start slow, then we get better, and then we fall away. And we, we seem to be playing from behind too often and, and we're letting teams sort of score on us late on in games as well. And it's like, we, we don't know what we're doing. We finally get it and then we forget again. And that seems to be a bit of a pattern going on again as well. So, yeah, it's another game that we're likely to write off, but these are things that we can work on, get confidence, and then we're going to go into a favourable run of games where we can and we will win games. Yeah. Right, should we take some questions now? Go for it. Right, Rory Scurfield, why was the Rams game flexed and not the Monday night or Thursday night games? Well, you can't flex Monday or Thursday night games. They're decided, aren't they? Yeah, that's quite right. Sunday night football's always got that possibility of being flexed depending on uh, records and that kind of stuff, weather and what have you. So, yeah, your Monday night and your Thursday night games, that that's they're set in stone once they're announced. So next question is from Gerald Rail. How do I stop drinking during the game? <laughs> the, the question I've got for you, Gerald, is why would you want to? <laughs> well, a lot of us have to not drink, don't we? A lot of us have to get up very early well, for work yeah, this morning on these Sunday night games and Monday night games, so we don't have the luxury of being able to drink. So maybe get a job that means you have to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah. So Martin Hughes wants to know, do you think wearing the 1994 throwback will make a difference? No. Looking I think it will. Do you reckon? I, yeah, I think it will make uh, a difference to the kit, man. Have you ever tried to get grass stains out of uh, white trousers? <laughs> <laughs> it's an absolute nightmare. That's is his friend. Daz, so, if you're out there and you want to sponsor the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so I think uh, I'm going to assume that Martin meant performance-wise, and uh, yeah. no, I don't think that will make a difference. I'm glad to see that we're using a little bit of history on our on the um, these throwbacks this time, or on our sort of uh, color rush, or whatever you want to call it, because those black things. I, I wasn't a fan, a fan of those black jerseys before, so it's good that we're actually using some of our history on these on these um, uniforms now, because a lot of the other teams that are in the league are, are using old uniforms from the sort of 50s, 60s, and even back. You look at those Steelers and Packers uniforms way, way, way back. Yeah. So, yes, I think it's great that we're actually embracing some of our history from San Francisco on these throwbacks rather than 
just some random design that some someone in the front office is thrown together. So the next question is from Gareth Ellis, and I think we've already answered this. Um, how do we stop Gurley? <sighs> you, you, well, you don't, do you? You just try to contain him. Do, do you know who would make a great defensive coordinator? Sam Allardyce. He can build a brick wall. <laughs> That's how you stop Gurley. Jose you Marino, employ yeah, Sam Allardyce. Yeah. <laughs> right, Paul Hope. Do you think Shanahan needs to have some more experienced staff around him like McPhee has at the Rams? Definitely. I think uh, a young team with young coaching staff definitely could do with some guidance from older, wiser heads. And I'm pretty sure that Kyle leans on his dad quite heavily for advice anyway. But it would yeah. be nice to see him in, in some official capacity. So I, I must admit, when the coaching staff was being put together, I was a little bit concerned that we had a rookie defensive coordinator as well as a rookie head coach. Mm. And you look at some of the other positions as well, they didn't particularly have that much experience and it did worry us at first. Now that we're yet a month down the road, it doesn't worry us as much, but yet they should have some experienced staff around. Just to act as advisors. I'll tell you who would make an excellent defensive line coach. Jim Tom Sula. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Funnily enough, I was thinking that the other week. He's in Washington now, isn't he? He is, yeah. Right, so the next question, and I'm going to apologise in advance because I'm not sure whether or not I'll be able to pronounce this name right. It's from Naji Karat, and Naji wants to know, what weaknesses would you like to see improved versus the Rams and going forward in priority order? So... I would say I've got two weaknesses that we definitely need to improve. And the order I've got them in might be surprising. So the two I've got down is our coverage and pass rush. And I'm actually going to put coverage first because I think we can improve on the coverage this season. I don't think we're going to improve on the pass rush until we actually bring somebody in through free agency or we draft somebody. And that's why I've gone with the coverage as my number one priority. Yeah, I, the first thing that came to my head was pass rush because your pass rush then helps out your secondary. But that's that's the one thing that I would look at. It would be the same two things: pass rush and coverage. Yeah. So the, the reason I went to expand with, on that, to be honest. Yeah, I, th I think the reason I went coverage number one rather than number two is because th there's nobody available as a pass rusher. So we stuck with what we've got until the end of the season. And I don't think what we've got can particularly be improved that much because I, no. I, I just don't think they can do the job. They're not very good. Uh, and that was the whole rationale behind uh, the, the one and two priority there. Yeah. So next question, Steve Whiting wants to know, can Mr. Willis come out of retirement for one game? I wish he could. But... We need Bruce Willis, not Patrick Willis. <laughs> um, it's not even our greatest need right now, is it? Linebacker? No, you're right, it's not. No. So, no, we Epson. need someone like Fred Dean or Charles Haley to come out of retirement. That's who we need. Yeah. Um, Neil Jepsum, he wants to know, do we stick with Ward or trade to, to acquire a new corner? I think they'll stick with Ward. Ward will probably be a free agent and gone after this season. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, we're not one player away. Um, I think any trade that they do make, and I don't think we, we will, I think it's either going to be pointless or you're looking at someone who you're rolling the dice on having a big year or might be ready in 2019 or 2020. So you're sort of looking at maybe someone who's been a, maybe not a first round, but maybe a second or third round pick who maybe slipped down a, a draft board or who hasn't appeared so much for whichever team they might be playing for right now or they don't maybe don't fit a scheme because of a coaching change. So you, you maybe roll the dice on a sort of a, a former, maybe second round cornerback somewhere, but you're sort of thinking about next season. It's probably not going to be a massive improvement on this season. I, I don't really see us making any trades but I know we made a obviously a huge one last year but I don't I just don't think we're in a position to be doing it this year no I don't either no I think you leave the trades when either 
a, a very special player comes up or you're in a championship window and you only need one or two people and then you make the trade. Yeah, definitely. Right, so that's all of the questions. Actually, there's another question, but I'll answer that when we get down to the predictions. Um, so we're on to the tips. So do you want to fire away with your weekly tip? Okay, so um, similar to the last one, um, when I said about going down to a Sharks game, somewhere else which is really worth doing is heading in the other direction and going over the Bay Bridge and going to watch a California Golden Bears game. Um, I did that one of the, not the last time, but the time before last that I was out there. You can uh, you can either drive over there um, or you can catch the bar and it's not too far from there. And there's loads of parties that you can, you can get stuck into if you're that way inclined. A lot of house parties, sort of sorority and frat houses and stuff, pool parties, loads of places to drink. Um, you can just do what we did when we went over there and black yourself into uh, a sort of private uh, bar sort of type place that was um, at a private party on. We basically just sort of played the stupid Brits abroad and got ourselves in. The drinks were particularly cheap. If you do drive, the parking could be quite expensive, but um, we managed to negotiate with some of the students about getting a very cheap parking place to park on their drive, which was a little bit worrying because they insist on you handing over your car keys, which when you have a higher car does tend to play on your mind a little bit. Yeah, I bet it does. (laughs) Yeah, when you're at the game and you've just handed over essentially a very expensive or what could be a very expensive mistake to make <laughs> when we yeah, were on holiday. Um, but it was worth it. The car was still there when we got back. Um, we had a really good time. It's much hotter than San Francisco as well, if you go at the right time of year. So you can go over there. You can, uh, I, even when I went over there, what, three years ago to that, I felt quite old in, on the, uh, bleachers. So if you're, if you're sort of in your forties or fifties, be prepared to, you know, feel even older than most of the people that are there. Um, but it's great fun, uh, really good game that we went to. I think we, our game that we went to was against Colorado and it was a triple overtime shootout game. So it was really good, but it was absolutely baking when we went and that was even in October. So yeah, be prepared to sort of, if it's uh, sort of 20, 20 degrees in San Francisco in the city, it's, you'd probably be looking at at least 30 by the time you get on the other side of the Bay Bridge and up in, up in Barkley. Oh, that's why there's loads of pool parties that. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. much hotter. It's not far, but it does make a big difference. It's a bit like um, when you go down to Santa Clara, isn't it? You, you can leave San Francisco, and obviously San Francisco got it's got its own weather climate, hasn't it? But yeah. when you go down to Santa Clara, obviously you've got all of the problems that we've had down there with the sun and no shade and people on on the opposite sideline sort of ducking in and out of the uh, uh, concourses just to sort of try and get out of the sun. So. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's very very similar over in California, and there's no shade at all over there. You're, and depending on what time the kickoff of the game is, it's yeah, uh, you know, you're you're out, you're out there and you're cooking. Yeah, you, you say San Francisco has its own climate. I think every other block in San Francisco has its own climate. <laughs> yeah, because you can walk down one street and it's absolutely roasting hot. You walk down the next street and it's like Siberia. Yeah, it's it's the strangest thing I've ever ever seen. I mean, mm-hmm. that caught me and David out. Um, on Thanksgiving when we were at the Turkey Bowl. So we left the hotel and it was quite chilly, so we both went back in and got a hoodie on mm. um, and walked down, got on the bus, got up to Kizar. You got up to Kizar and it was absolutely blisteringly hot. We had yeah. to strip off in the stadium because the sweat was piling out of us. Yeah. But yeah. It's a weird place that you have to almost dress for every single weather condition and yeah. you, you have to layer up and then as soon as you get somewhere, you'll be taking layers off and then, like you say, yeah, you, you, you head off somewhere else and then, geez, it's cold again and you start layering back up again and, yeah, you're all over the place. I, I, I'm amazed that people don't go out there and get quite ill at times with the uh, the way that the weather changes. Yeah, it's, it's hard to believe how extreme it can go from, from, one, from one extreme to the next without yeah. actually being there and experiencing it. Yeah. Just having somebody tell you about it, you think, oh, no, it can't be that bad. It must drop a degree of two. Mm. No, it's, it is a significant difference. Yeah. And like I said, that can be from one block to the next. Yeah, and it was it was the same. I got, I got told the same when I went to Candlestick Park. The, the, the person that told me said, well, don't dress for what the weather conditions are in San Francisco, even if it's nice and sunny, because it would be blooming cold down at Candlestick. And, and invariably, it was the couple of times that I went. Yeah. went 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 in January, and it was... Uh, it was, sun was shining, but it was cold. And then I went again in August, and no, not August, September time. 
first game of the season in 2014, 2013. And uh, yeah, it, it was hot, but once that breeze and, and the wind gets in there, yeah, it's uh, it's cold. Yeah, I was quite fortunate at Candlestick because that was there on December the 1st, 2013. Yeah. And it was the hottest December weekend they'd had in 60 <laughs> years. Yeah. So I, th- I think it was 21, 22 degrees on December the 1st. And that that was just unheard of in San Francisco. So mm. yeah, I think I was lucky because I just turned up in my jeans and t shirt or jersey, I should say. Yeah. And I was okay. Right, so my first tip for today. So this is if you're gonna ride on a cable car and you want to do the whole touristy um hang from a pole type shot. So you you, you can take that photo, get yourself hanging from the pole. The recommend you don't do it as the as the cable car is actually moving. And every now and again, they do actually stop it so you can jump out and hang from the pole and get a photo. Um, but what I would say is, when it's moving, if you are wanting to hang onto a pole, you don't hang onto the pole in front of you. What you do is you actually lean against the pole behind you, so you have your back against the pole. Uh, and that way, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't hurt your arms. And believe me, I mean... The, it's only a 20-minute journey from uh, the Hyde Street turntable down at Girardelli Square all the way up to Union Square. But just that 20 minutes holding on the pole in front of you does take its toll because you are subjected to uh, some G-forces when you go around the corner because obviously the only break they've got is a little wooden block. So they basically <clears throat> let it go around as fast as it's going down there. <laughs> so you can get flung about a little bit. But yeah. If you're going to get in the cable car, have your back against the pole rather than grabbing hold of the pole in front of you. Or stand right at the very back. That's good fun as well. Yeah. If you can get if you can get one of the two places at the back with the uh, the guy at the back, the brake man at the back, then that's the place to stand. Right. Have you got a second tip for us, Brian? Um, I'm going to do quite a short one because some of the other ones are quite long. Um, there's a bar in Chicago, uh, sorry, bar in Chicago, a bar in San Francisco called <laughs> Monaghan's Bar, and it's a Chicago sports bar. But it's great if you've got any passing interest in any of the other Chicago sports teams, which I do, um, Blackhawks and Bulls. So if you're into, you know, if you're that way inclined and you're in San Francisco, then uh, there's a good bar down there. Um, it's basically a sports bar, but it's sort of all decked out in Chicago sports teams, memorabilia and stuff. But it's good fun, good bar. Um, just a, another little drinking drinking place to go to if you're sort of on, on that side of the city. Fantastic. So my second tip, um, it's, it's actually two tips in one, really. If you're going to get the, the Caltrain from 4th Street down to Levi's on, on the morning of the game, make sure you get there in plenty of time because the ticket machines are very temperamental, <laughs> as me and David have found out both times we've gone in there. It's it's funny because both me and David have gone to buy a ticket from the same machine the, the last two times we've been there, and it's refused our cards both times. Mm. Yet the last time we were there, my brother, he, he managed to get his tickets from there, no problem, straight afterwards. But it wouldn't accept mine and David's card. So we had to go around and try a different um, ticket machine and then that one worked uh, but back in 2015 because we'd left it that close to the train leaving we'd actually just get no tickets and run onto the platform as the train pulled away so don't let that happen to you because <laughs> you, that, that's basically it for the next hour so you miss an hour's worth of tailgating mm-hmm. um, which is not good you, you want to get that hour's worth of tailgating in yeah um, and I'm, and, I'm- and the other second mini tip about the Caltrain is you're not allowed to take alcohol on the Sunday morning Levi's Express. They won't allow you to have alcohol on the Caltrain. Once you get to Mountain View, you can then go and find a shop and buy some alcohol and you can take it on the VTA Lite. But definitely if you're on the Caltrain station, uh, the Caltrain train, they'll make you uh, get rid of your alcohol. And that's on Sunday service only. Yeah, and it- Riding the cow train's always more fun when you go upstairs because you don't often, well, you don't at all get a chance to ride upstairs in a train on this country or in this country. So, uh, yeah, if you're going to ride on the cow train, go upstairs. It's uh, it's not much of a more interesting experience, but it's just somewhat different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, prediction time. Ugh. So the Rams are 10.5 point favourites, I think. Uh, sorry, 9.5 point favourites. 
and the over under is 52.5 where did they get the 0.5 from over under it's just it's just got to be something to do with the betting betting line hasn't it there's it's got to be something in there yeah, so why, they, you, why they put the 0.5 in right so if you get 52 is, is that class is over no if what's what's it what is it now 52 and a half yeah 52.5 yeah yeah so if it goes to 52 then you lose yeah um right. and, it, and if it if it was 52 on the nose and, you, and it was 52 then it'd be a push and then obviously you need to go over to to win your bet right so i kind of made you go first last week so i feel obliged to go first this week <laughs> So th this is going to be an interesting one, and, th and this is the bit where I said I was going to answer one of the other questions, um, uh, and one of the questions was from Neil Graham, by how many tens of points are we going to get beat by the Rams? Um, and to be honest, I actually think this is going to be a close game again. I, I know that's surprising to hear when you look at the Rams team and you look at the 49ers, you, you would think we're, we're going to be two touchdowns down, but I don't think that's going to be the case. Uh, so as far as the over-under is concerned... I think it's going to be over. Mm -hmm. The Rams are nine and a half point favourites. I think we'll cover that at home at Levi's. I think the score will be Rams 38, 49ers 30. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't believe it. So I think the Rams will look at that 10 point or nine and a half point uh, line and see that as a challenge. I think they'll they'll go for it. Like we said before, the Rams are top 10 on both sides of the ball. But can we cover 10 points at home? I think we can, can't we? Yeah. Based on the fact that we can go into Green Bay and cover. Um, we're 4-1 against the Rams in our last five. And I think we're just going to sneak inside to cover. Um, the Rams possibly might get into a stage where they might take their foot off the gas. Possibly. It might sort of be a little bit similar to the Kansas City game. And my prediction was uh, Rams 37, 49 is 29. All right. So <laughs> Which that is was very, very close. To where we were a couple of weeks ago with being one yeah. point out each. That, that was Kansas City, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, can't complain if we get that right this week. No. It means at least we stayed in the game and we haven't embarrassed ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. I think it could be uh, an eight point game at the end. All right. Yeah. Well, obviously, so do I. Going for 38 30. Yeah. Right, so the last thing left to say is uh, the International Series games are on for the next fortnight. Obviously, they're on last weekend as well. Um, I will be down London for both of these games. So if you bump into me or if you see me, come up and say hello. It'll, it'll be good to meet uh, other members of the group that I've never met before uh, and maybe even have time to grab a pint together. So if you're going down there, enjoy the games. Uh, the weather's supposed to be fantastic. So thank you for listening again, guys. It's much appreciated. The feedback's great. I hope we're doing a good job answering your questions. Some of them are harder than others to answer. Um, I think Nadji's was a... If I'd had a little bit more time and thought about it, I, I could have probably come up with more than two weaknesses that I, I want to see improved uh, and give a priority order. Um, but with 24 hours notice, I, I think, yeah, the, the coverage and the pass rush were the two for me. Right. Thanks a lot, guys. Yeah, thank you very much. We love the San Francisco 49ers deep in the heart. Like Joe Montana in the corner, deep Clark. Garrison Hurst, stiff form going 99. Don't get it twisted, one and all with prime time. John Taylor, Jerry Rice down the sideline. NDB, greatest owner of all time. Groovy, Walgreens, Bill Belichick were all students. And Bill Walsh, don't ever forget.